This morning's reading comes from Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 22. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. You may be seated. Good morning. If we go back to what Brad just read for us just a few seconds ago in Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 22, which is paralleled in Mark chapter 1 and Luke chapter 5, we have Jesus walking alongside the Sea of Galilee. As he walks alongside the Sea of Galilee, he came across two men. They were brothers, they were fishermen. One was named Andrew. His brother was named Simon, who was called Peter. These two men had already had interactions with Jesus. In fact, these two men already had a certain level of commitment to Jesus. If you go back to John chapter 1, verses 35 through 42, Andrew had spent an entire day with Jesus. He had been convinced that Jesus was the Messiah to the point that he went and found his brother Simon and brought him to Jesus. It's in that context where Jesus looks at Simon and tells him, you're no longer going to be called Simon, you're going to be called Cephas, which translated means Peter. As they had done thousands of different times throughout their lives, they were casting their nets into the sea as fishermen. As they were casting their net into the sea, Jesus called out to them. What did He say? Verse number 19, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Can you see the play on words there? Verse number 18 tells us that they were fishermen. Jesus says, make one decision and you're going to become fishers of men. Make one decision that's going to change and transform your life forever. Make one decision that's going to change and transform the things that you do on a daily basis. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. You continue reading, Jesus continued walking. He continued walking down the shore of the Sea of Galilee and came across two other men. These men were also brothers. They were also fishermen. James, his brother John, their father Zebedee was with them in the boat. Did you know that it's very possible that James and John could have been first cousins of Jesus? Whenever you compare the gospel accounts and you compare the women who were standing at the foot of Jesus' cross, it's very possible and some scholars believe that it was probable that James and John's mother, Zebedee's wife, was Jesus' mother's sister. It's possible that they were first cousins. Once again, as they had done thousands of times, they were mending their nets. It looks like they were done fishing for the day. Jesus approaches James and John. If they were his first cousin, I'm not saying they were, but if they were Jesus' first cousins, Jesus had no doubt approached them many different times. But this time was different. 
In verse number 21, Jesus called them. What did He say? Go back to what we read just a few minutes ago. Follow Me. And I will make you fishers of men. Then you fast forward about four chapters to the eighth chapter of Matthew, verses 18 through 22, which is paralleled in Luke chapter 9. Because of a large crowd surrounding Jesus, Jesus gave orders for his disciples to go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee in verse 18. One of his disciples in verse 21 responded to that by saying, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. One of two things is happening there. Either number one, his father has died and he literally needs to go bury his father. He's saying to Jesus, I I can't come with you right now. I can't cross the Sea of Galilee right now because I have to make sure that I go and bury my father. Or number two, this could be more metaphoric. Back in this time, it was the child's responsibility to take care of their parents until they were buried. So maybe his father wasn't sick at all. Maybe his father hadn't died at this point, but he's telling Jesus, I can't follow you right now. I can't go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee right now because I need to take care of my father until he gets older, until he gets sick, until he is buried. But then when he's buried, then I can come with you. How does Jesus respond? Verse 22, Jesus said to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. Let worldly people take care of worldly things. Let those who are spiritually dead bury those who are physically dead. He says, "You, what you need to do is follow me. Then you go to the next chapter. In Matthew chapter 9 and verse number 9, paralleled in Mark chapter 2 and Luke chapter 5, Jesus approaches a man that nobody else would have approached. Jesus approaches a tax collector named Matthew, or the other accounts call him Levi. Tax collectors were hated during this time. Jews hated them because they were viewed as being allies of the Romans, working for the Romans. Tax collectors were known for being greedy. They were known for being selfish. They were known for being dishonest. They would not only take your taxes, but they would add a little bit on top of it, take the extra money and put it in their pocket. How would you feel about somebody like that? How would you feel about somebody who did that to you? Nobody else would have approached the tax booth that day. But Jesus did. And He shares with Matthew the same message that He shared with Peter and Andrew, with James and John, with the unnamed disciple just a chapter earlier. Follow Me. Then you go to Matthew chapter 19. An individual who we oftentimes call the rich young ruler comes before Jesus and asks Him a very sincere question. Teacher, what good thing must I do to have eternal life? Jesus responded to that question by basically saying two things. First, He pointed to the definition of goodness. In verse 17, why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good. Who is that? That's God. He says what you need to understand, the very definition of goodness is the nature and the character of God. But then number two, He points to the commands that this good God had given. He quotes five of the Ten Commandments from Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy chapter 5. He also quotes a command from Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 18. You shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. He tells the rich young ruler, do these things and you will live. Oh, you could have seen the excitement on the rich young ruler's face. You could have heard the excitement in his voice. All these things I've kept. 
The parallel accounts in Mark and Luke record him as saying, I've kept these things since the time I was a child. This is what I've always been about. What do I still lack? Do I lack something or am I good? Do I already have eternal life? Well, Jesus points out to him the one thing that he lacked. He tells him, if you would be perfect, go and sell what you possess and give it to the poor. That's the one thing that he prioritized over his relationship with God. That's the one thing that he wasn't willing to let go of in order to fully devote his life to God. So Jesus tells him, if you really want to be perfect, go sell everything that you have. Give the money to the poor. Lose your treasure on earth. You'll have treasure in heaven. But that's not all that he says. What else does he say to him in 21? Come. Follow. Me. Then you go to the Gospel of John. In John chapter 1 and verse 43, this is in context the day after Jesus spent with Andrew, at the day after he met Simon Peter and gave him that name Peter, the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. Whenever we have lost things, typically we search for them until we find them. Here Jesus is looking for lost people. Jesus is looking for lost souls, and He found one. And the, the way that this text reads, it looks like Jesus went into the region of Galilee just to find this one person, Philip. And He extended to him the same message that we've seen several times already, just two words. Follow Me. Now you look back at all of these different passages, you look back at all of these different stories from the life of Jesus, what do they all share? What do they all have in common? In each story, Jesus shares the same message. In each section of Scripture, Jesus presents the same two words to various people at various times. It's an amazing message. It's a challenging message. Follow Me. Throughout the first few months of 2023 as a church family, I want us to spend some time thinking about those two words from Jesus. Follow me. Isn't it amazing to think that Jesus extends to us the same message that He extended to Andrew and Peter, James and John, the unknown disciple on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, the rich young ruler, Matthew the tax collector sitting at the tax booth. Isn't it amazing to think that Jesus wants you and He wants me to follow after Him? But what does it look like to follow Jesus? Why should we follow Jesus? What are some things that typically hold us back from following Jesus? What's going to happen to me if I do follow Jesus? What's going to happen to me if I don't follow Jesus? Over the next few months, I look forward to answering. I look forward to addressing those questions together. But before we get there, before we get to all of that, as we introduce this theme of follow me, I want us to camp out on those two words. Let's take it one word at a time. Follow me. What does Jesus mean by that? What is Jesus communicating when He offers that message, follow me? Let's start with the first word, the word follow. What does it mean to follow something? What does it mean to follow somebody? Whenever you look in the original language, whenever you look at the Greek word that's translated as follow, it quite literally means to walk down the same road. The prefix on the word, a particle of union. 
The root word means road. To be united on the same road. What does it mean to follow? It means to walk down the same road. Does anybody know how many roads there are in Mayfield, Kentucky? A lot. That's a good way to put it. There's a lot of them. According to my count, which could be off just a little bit. I don't typically count this high. According to geographic.com, there are 643 different roads in Mayfield, Kentucky. If I'm going to follow you, or you're going to follow me, then we have to be on the same road out of those 643 different roads. I can't follow you if you're on one road and I'm on another road. You can't follow me if you're on one side of town and, and I'm on the other side of town. If we're going to follow one another, if I'm going to follow you or you're going to follow me, we have to walk down the same road. And the same is true with Jesus. You know that there are a lot of different roads that we can walk down in this life. There are a lot of different directions that we can go. There are a lot of different paths that we can take. If we're going to follow after Jesus, then out of all the different roads and all of the different paths that exist, we have to choose to walk down the one that He's on. We have to choose to follow in His footsteps. It's like a story that I read about a former king of Bohemia. He was walking through the snow in order to give alms to the poor. His servant was following behind him. The servant got so weary from the cold and from the snow that he told the king, I don't think I'm going to be able to make it. I don't think that I'm going to be able to get there. And so the king told him, follow close behind me. Walk in the footprints that I leave in the snow. And if you do that, it's going to make it a lot easier. And so that's exactly what he did. He walked close behind his master, close behind his king, walking in his footprints that he left in the deep snow. And it made the journey a whole lot better. That's what it looks like. That's what it means to follow Jesus. Following Jesus is not just walking down the same road as Jesus. Jesus might be on this end of the road and I'm over here on this other side of the road. That's not what it means to follow Jesus. Following Jesus means that I'm walking so closely to my king that my footsteps are following His. I'm walking in the footprints that He leaves behind. The word follow is a command. Whenever you go back to those different passages of Scripture that we walked through just a few moments ago, and you see that phrase from Jesus, follow me, that word follow is a command. It's an imperative. It's not advice. It's not a question. It's not a wish. It's not a dream. It's a command. Follow me. We can choose to be obedient to that command or we can choose to be disobedient to that command. We can choose to follow Jesus or we can choose to not follow Jesus. There's no middle ground. There's no other option. This is a command that Jesus expects us to obey. But just because it's a command doesn't mean that we should view it as something that's cold or something that's harsh. No, it's a command, but it's also an invitation, isn't it? Whenever you receive an invitation, it makes you feel pretty good, doesn't it? Whenever you were invited as a kid to go to a birthday party or a special event, whenever someone invites you over to their house for dinner, whenever someone invites you to go out and spend the day with them, it makes you feel good. Why does it make you feel good? Because somebody's thinking about you. 
Somebody cares about you. Somebody loves you. Somebody wants to spend time with you. Or they wouldn't extend the invitation. If they didn't want to be around you, they wouldn't invite you. Hear me clearly when I say that Jesus loves you more than you can even imagine. Jesus cares about you. Jesus thinks about you. Jesus wants to spend time with you. But I've made some terrible mistakes in my life. Jesus says, I still want you. I still desire you more than anything else. How do we know that He desires us? He extends to us this invitation. I want you to follow after me. It's a command to be obeyed. It's an invitation to be accepted. But it's also a great privilege, isn't it? Think about who Jesus is. Hebrews chapter 1, Colossians chapter 1 tells us that He's the creator and sustainer of the universe. Matthew chapter 16 tells us that He's the Christ, the Son of the living God. He's the Savior. He's the Messiah. He is God the Son. Then look at who we are. We're human beings, but then take it a step further. We're broken. We're sinful. We're ungodly. We're helpless. We've dug a hole that we can't get ourselves out of. Jesus looks at people like you and me. People who have a past, a history like we do. And He says, I want you to follow Me. Jesus looks at us in our sin, in our brokenness, in our ungodliness. God Himself offers each one of us this invitation. I want you to follow after Me. Jesus, You're talking about somebody like Me? Somebody who's done the things that I have? Somebody who's made the mistakes that I've made? What an honor. What a privilege it is to follow after Jesus. That's the first word, follow. It means we're walking down the same road as Jesus. A command to be obeyed. An invitation to be accepted. A privilege that we should treasure above all things. But then look at that second word. The word me. Follow who? Me. Walk down the same road. Walk down the same path as me. If we're following after Jesus, that means that we're not following after anybody or anything else in our lives. For instance, just to reflect on this for a second, if we're following after Jesus, that means that we are not following our hearts. Spiritually speaking, there are a lot of people who make decisions based on how they feel. There are a lot of people who make decisions based on the emotions that they have. Have you ever heard this piece of advice? Have you ever given this piece of advice? Follow your heart. I'm not really sure what to do here. I'm not sure what decision to make. I'm not sure what direction to go. Oh, just follow your heart. Whatever your heart tells you to do, that's what you need to do. Whatever you feel is right, whatever your emotions are telling you, your heart's never going to steer you wrong. Look at what the Bible says about the heart in Jeremiah 17 and verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Does that sound like something you want to follow after every single day of your life? I don't mean any offense by this, but that piece of advice, follow your heart, that's terrible advice. Don't follow your heart. Your heart is deceitful. Your heart's going to lie to you. Your heart is sick. Our emotions, our feelings are oftentimes skewed and are not in step with reality. I think that's why Jesus, He doesn't say follow your heart follow your feelings, follow your emotions. 
Let's talk about something much better. Follow me, Jesus says. If we're following Jesus, that means that we're not following our minds, our logic, or our intellect. You know, I've sat down and I've thought about this. I've examined it from every angle, thought about every possible outcome, and this is the solution that I've come to. This is my conclusion. This is the way I'm going to live my life. These are the things that I'm going to do. We oftentimes think of ourselves as being pretty smart, don't we? We think that we've got everything together. But then we look at the wisdom of Solomon in Proverbs 14 and verse 12. He says, there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. Solomon warns us, there are some things that are going to seem right. And you sat down and you've thought about it. And you've put time and effort into it. And you've examined it from every angle. This seems right. Solomon says, be careful. Because there's a way that seems right to a man. But look where it ends up. It ends up in death. As Christians, we don't follow our minds. We don't follow our logic. If you continue reading in Proverbs, Proverbs 28 and verse 26 says, whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool. Jesus doesn't say follow your logic. He doesn't say follow your mind. Follow your thinking or your intellect. He says follow me. Number three, if we're going to follow after Jesus, that means that we're not following after people, particularly those who claim to be very religious. Those who might be religious leaders. There are some people in the religious world who will wholeheartedly accept anything that their preacher has to say. There are people out in the religious world who will listen to and believe and follow and obey anything that their religious leaders tell them without even giving it a second thought. Well, Paul addresses that kind of situation in 1 Corinthians 1, verses 12 and 13. Here's a church that's divided based on their favorite preachers. In verse 12, he says, each one of you. What does that tell us about this church? There was nobody uninvolved in this. They were all divided up in these ways. Each one of you says, I follow Paul. I'm a Paul Christian. Or I follow Apollos. I follow Cephas or Peter. Then there were a faithful few who said, I follow Christ. Paul has some powerful questions for them. Is Christ divided? Hey, was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? What's the answer to all of those questions in verse 13? The answer is no. Absolutely not. Paul wasn't crucified for them. They weren't baptized in the name of Paul. In a similar way, our religious leaders were not crucified for us. Our preachers, we were not baptized in their name. Jesus is the one who was crucified for us. We were baptized in the name of or by the authority of Jesus Christ. And that's why we follow Him. Not our religious leaders. We need to be like the noble Bereans. Acts 17 and verse 11, Paul comes into town. Keep in mind, he's an inspired apostle. Whenever he was preaching the good news about Jesus, they didn't accept it just because Paul was saying it. Instead, they examined the Scriptures daily to see if these things were so. They didn't accept it just because a religious leader was saying it. Instead, they went straight to the source to see if it was true. Never believe something just because somebody says it. Never believe something just because it's said from this pulpit. Be like the noble Bereans. Go to the Scriptures to see if these things are so. To see if these things are true. Don't follow after the religious leader. Go straight to the source. 
and follow after Jesus. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. I'm not saying that we shouldn't follow the direction that our elders shepherd us because scriptures like 1 Peter chapter 5 tell us to do that. I'm not saying that we shouldn't allow deacons to serve and to minister in their leadership roles because scripture teaches them to do that. What I am saying is this, a religious leader is only worthy of being trusted and listened to when they're following after Jesus. It's like what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 1, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Well, if the Corinthians were to imitate Paul as he imitates Christ, then they're not really imitating Paul. They're not really following Paul. They're following after Jesus. And we're to view our religious leaders in the same way. We imitate them, but don't stop there. We imitate them as they imitate Christ. We're not ultimately following them. We're ultimately following Christ. And then number four, as kind of a catch-all category, if we're following after Jesus, it means that we're not following after other people. Paul asked a powerful question in Galatians 1 and verse 10. He says, am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I wouldn't be a servant of Christ. Who am I seeking the approval of? Who am I looking to please? Who am I following after on a daily basis? Paul says, if you answer that question with the name of a person, family member, friend, someone you trust, someone you love, someone at school, someone at work, if you answer that question with the name of a person, you can't be a servant of Jesus. Jesus doesn't say, pick out who you like the best, pick out who you trust the most, and follow after them. He says, trust me the most. And follow after me. There was a teenage girl who put in a college application at the university she wanted to go to. As she was filling out the application, she came to a question that troubled her a little bit. It was the question, are you a leader? She thought to herself for just a second, I know what I need to put. Why would a university accept someone who doesn't claim to be a leader. I know I need to circle yes, but she also wanted to be honest. She knew that she wasn't a leader. So with the angel on one side, the devil on the other side, she ended up circling no, I'm not a leader. She was honest about it. She put the application in an envelope. She mailed it off to the university and didn't expect to hear anything back. The university sent back a letter about two weeks later. Whenever she saw it in the mailbox, her heart sank. She didn't expect anything out of it at all. She opened it up and began to read it. It said, Dear Applicant, Through our application process, we've discovered that we have 1,452 new leaders coming into our freshman class. We believe that it is imperative that we have at least one follower. I guess that's true, right? If you have 1,452 leaders, you might want to have at least one follower. I think in a similar vein, it's imperative for us to recognize that we're all followers. We are all followers of Jesus. It's the goal of our lives to walk down the same road as Jesus. It's the goal of our lives to accept His invitation, to obey His command, and to treasure the privilege of following in His footsteps. If we're following after Jesus, it means we're not following ourselves. We're not following our hearts or our minds. We're not following after other people, especially those who might be religious leaders. It's the goal of our lives to follow after Jesus. Follow me, Jesus says. I look forward to the next several months 
looking at this invitation, being challenged by this invitation, becoming excited about this invitation of following Jesus on a daily basis. Maybe where we are right now, we need to ask the question, what do you need to do? What do I need to do to better follow Jesus today? If we can help you to do that this morning, we love that as together we stand and sing.